my name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 578. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, uh, Dr. Alexander Solomon posted something that, Kathy, you shared with me, which we're going to talk about. Um, And it was in regards to how we are doing a good job, and you might need to help me with my language here. Okay. Doing a good job of raising our daughters to uh, step into their power and be successful and be educated, and that, that there's some people that perceive, and I think you and I agree, that we're not putting the equal... As as of as much energy and value upon helping our young boys and men embracing the traditionally, I don't know, I was going to say traditional feminine, but traditional caregiving qualities. Basically, we are raising girls. Many of us are to be their full humanity, embracing all sides of themselves, including leadership and success and um, their ability to achieve and all of those things. And also there's still that piece of society that focuses on the caregiving and the, um, you know, being more of a nurturer. And then when it comes to raising our boys, we're definitely focusing on the success and the leadership. But are we paying as much attention to the caregiving and the nurturing with our boys. Mm. And so basically it's out of balance. And like Todd said, uh, Dr. Solomon posted something um, yesterday, I think, and her initial quote was, collectively, we are doing a better job raising our daughters to be leaders than raising our sons to be caregivers. Being fully human requires the cultivation of both ambition and connection, which is... Just that quote alone necessitates a lot of different conversations, and we're going to do our best to kind of bring Todd and I have been having a conversation before we started this podcast, all these different pieces and how this comes together and how this ends up looking in our world. Um, but first, um, Joseph Epstein is a columnist, opinion columnist for the Wall Street Journal, and he wrote a um, an op-ed, I guess that's what it's called, mm-hmm. called Is There a Doctor in the White Hot? White House, not if you need an MD. That's what it says. So (laughs) I'm just going to read what I think is the first paragraph to it. If I can pull it up, it says, Madam First Lady, Mrs. Biden, Jill, kiddo, a bit of advice on what may seem like a small, but I think is not unimportant matter. Any chance you might drop the doctor before your name? Dr. Jill Biden sounds and feels fraudulent, not to say a touch comic. Your degree is, I believe, in educate a doctor of education earned at the University of Delaware through a dissertation with the unpromising title, Student Retention at the Community College Level Meeting Students' Needs. A wise man once said that no one should call himself doctor unless he has delivered a child. Think about it, Dr. Jill, and forthwith drop the doc. So... You said that to me yesterday, and I'll tell you my quick story, and then we'll get into the gist of what the what it is. I was offended by this, probably not to the same degree you were, because you grew up in a different culture, society, you know, societally. But as a father of three daughters, married to you, and on behalf of all of us, it's an offensive opinion in my judgment, and I typically. Um, I don't know. I, I sometimes judge myself for not taking action. So this morning I took a little bit of action and I uh, canceled my subscription to the Wall Street Journal. I, I subscribed to that right after Trump was elected because I felt like I was consuming uh, just left-leaning, left-leaning uh, media. So I'm like, well, I want to find the most center I can and read that. So I've done that. So I canceled it um, just because I, it felt right for me to do. I will say that um, I think Wall Street Journal has the ability to put Joseph Epstein's opinion on there in the same way I have the ability to stop paying for their newspaper. Right. So um, so this isn't about First Amendment stuff. They, they got every right to say this, but they also need to deal with the consequences and consequ- consequences are they got $20 less per month or whatever it is I pay. Well, they kind of doubled down today. The, the top editor for the journal's opinion section, who's also a man, a Paul... 
Paul the editor. Paul the editor. I can't say his last name. It's G-I-G-O-T. Gigot? I don't know. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, but he, I, he actually said something today um, in a response to posting this article or allowing this opinion piece to be posted. And he said, this is probably, I mean, he said a lot of things that he felt that this was like a, like an organized um, retaliation from the Democratic Party that, you know, a big deal was being made up about it. And maybe that wasn't necessarily um, making the, a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, that's what he thought. And, and the quote that he put out is he said that criticizing this op-ed by Mr. Epstein's use of the word kiddo to refer to Dr. Biden was misplaced because Mr. Biden, that'd be President-elect Biden, has also used the term in reference to his wife. So what he's saying, what this like journal, this top editor for the journal is saying is that because Biden, Joe Biden, calls his wife kiddo, which is a term of endearment, that as journalists and as reporters, we get to do that too. And we know, and this is this is just a teeny piece of it, sure. but I want to point out the pieces and the layers of misogyny. So I can't, my biggest, one of my biggest frustrations, and it's why I write about it all the time and talk about it all the time, is gaslighting, where somebody says, no, no, I'm going to write all these things, but this isn't misogyny. This is just my opinion. When you are saying that a woman who has earned her doctorate in her 50s while raising children doesn't deserve the title of doctor simply because she went to a university maybe that you don't think is great enough or because she wrote her dissertation about something that you don't value, that that is misogyny. That's you deciding that this person doesn't have value because you don't want them to. Mm. And the way that you say it, it's like saying, you know, I've decided that we should use the word cake only if we're talking about chocolate. But if we're talking about vanilla, that's not what I call cake. That, that doesn't make any sense. All these men have doctorates. All these men that we, I mean, think about all the men who have, you know, their PhD or their EDD or their, you know, PsyD uh, or there's so many different ways to be like a doctor of and I don't recall any articles about that they shouldn't be calling themselves doctor. Yeah. So this is a woman who has now reached a level of leadership. And he's saying, now that you're in the White House, because he actually has a quote at the very end that says, you should just enjoy your four years in like this tax paid, you know, taxpayer funded house. Yep. He's basically saying, now that your husband has this job, Forget your accomplishments and just ease in to being the woman of the house and drop the doctor. So you don't get to have your own title or your own accomplishments. You need to now be in the shadow of your husband's. I know. And ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And she, by the way, is going to continue teaching. And they her, her students call her Dr. B. Like, she is a professor. Well, just the idea that it's just, for me, it's a silly opinion. Like it's one that I completely don't understand why he's, there's a lot of things he could say. This is what he says. Right. It's just weird. Yeah. At this point in time, yeah. in the midst of everything that's going, talk about someone being silly. Mm -hmm. We have a, a, a leader who is not leading by any way, shape and form and is also having a tantrum. But we're going to talk about that Dr. Jill Biden should probably drop doctor to make everybody more yeah, comfortable. Is, is, this, is this really where we want to focus our energy? Now, the only thing where I get a little cynical is you and I know this guy's name now, and we're talking about his article, and obviously it's all over everywhere. Sure. So there are some people who would choose to go negative to get known, mm -hmm. um, and we are filling that. Yeah, know. well, in one sense of the word, we are, but in another sense, they've lost one subscriber. So True. Uh, true. But one thing I will say in regards to just, again, just pointing out the misogyny, this is a man who has taught at Northwestern and Northwestern uh, University, which is in Chicagoland, right by us in Evanston. Um, they put out a statement saying we don't support these misogynistic views. And by the way, Epstein has not lectured here since 2003. And guess what? He only has a bachelor's degree. 
Yeah. Well, it's... and the only reason I'm saying that that would be irrelevant in any other conversation. But Jill Biden has a bachelor's degree, two master's degree, and a doctorate. Right. And he's telling her she shouldn't talk about her accomplishments, and he hasn't gone into higher education. Right. I have looked so many times, and Todd will attest, at getting my doctorate. And the only reason I haven't is because, well, money is one of them, but the other reason is is it is a slog, man. It's hard. It is years and years. Yes. And it is writing, and, and I, I, as much as I love to write, it's, it's research writing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a totally different experience. And... That is, my point is, is I know what an undertaking it is. I haven't experienced it the way so many people have, but I have looked into it enough and have enough people in my life who have it that I understand what is, what is needed. Right. So I guess I just, I took great offense to this. And like, you know, I was telling Todd before we started, it's just, it gets exhausting. Yeah. And please don't tell me this isn't misogyny. This is misogyny. As soon as I did, I put it on my Men Living Facebook page, and I it's awareness. I need to help use whatever influence I have and make sure that other men are aware that, in my judgment, this is misogyny. It's funny because Pete Buttigieg's uh, husband, um, I think it's, he pronounced his name Chastin, he said, um, he, he tweeted like, he might as well have just said, back in my day, we didn't have to respect women like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's so blatant, but I just, the argument about whether or not, and again, I will start by saying you're right, Todd, what you said at the beginning, Wall Street Journal has an opinion section. Sure. And I'm sure in every newspaper, New York Times, you know, Chicago Tribune, Washington Post, there have been opinion pieces that are written that are by so, definition, exactly. this is this guy's opinion. Exactly. So it's not to say that there is no right, you know, sure. it's a First Amendment thing, but it's also just so blatant. Mm-hmm. And do you really feel this way, Mr. Epstein? Mm-hmm. Like, do you really feel this way? Because that's so, that's such a bummer. You know what I mean? Not just for him, but that he puts that out there and thinks he's going to get agreement or that there's well, some kind of message. And, you know, I don't think that this guy's going to call into Zen Parenting Podcast, but there's <laughs> a part of me that's instead of like tell it, because I think the word he used was fraudulent. Right. And I would invite him to do his own work. And what I mean by that is how is it that you're fraudulent, Mr. Epstein? Right. I'm guessing that there's probably some ways all of us as human beings like sometimes poses one thing that aren't something else. And for me, it's like always my own internal process as opposed to anybody else's. But yeah, I wholeheartedly 100% disagree with his opinion. And he actually said it sounds and feels fraudulent. So those aren't like factual words. It sounds and feels, you know, parentheses to me, to him, right. fraudulent. Yeah. And and that is, that is and again, that, thus the opinion piece. But I think what you're referring to is we all have imposter syndrome. Sure. All human beings, no matter what you're doing, you feel like, why me? They're going to figure out I'm different. I'm not good enough. That's just being a, a human. Yeah. But to actually say to someone, you don't have the right. I would be more interested in hearing his opinion on his own fraudulence than Dr. Biden's. Correct. And why we feel that we are not good enough and why we can't stand with other people who have achievements. In order to move on to the next thing, yes. can I play a movie quote for you? Sure. Burbridge and Greenbaum. Doctor? 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 And Doctor. What movie? Fletch. No. I had a feeling you weren't going to know it. I thought it was Fletch. Nope. Okay, let me think. It's Chevy Chase. It is Chevy Chase. Okay. I'll give you another big hint. Okay. Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Spies Like Us? Boom. Nice job, sweetie. Thank you. Um, Okay, so our second thing that we want to talk about today is your Zen parenting moment. Now, it's a little bit long. Just read part of it. Don't read the whole thing. Uh, I don't even have it in front of me. Oh. Um, I wanted you to talk about it. It okay. was called. It was about invisible labor, but I. You started it with a quote, okay? Correct. And the quote was from a movie called The Breakup, which we we refer to often on Correct. this podcast. Yes. And I couldn't find the quote to play. Okay. So instead, I want us to do it right now. Okay. Turn that piece of paper over. Oh, do you have it in front of you? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So you're going to be Brooke, which is Jennifer Aniston's uh, character, and I'm going to be Vince Vaughn. Okay. So she says. 
I just don't know how we got here. Our entire relationship, I have gone above and beyond for you, for us. I support you. I supported your work. If we had ever had dinner or anything, I did the plans. I take care of everything. And I just don't feel like you appreciate any of it. I don't feel like you appreciate me. All I want to know is for you to show me that you care. Why did you just say that to me? I tried. I've tried. What's cool about that movie is it, spoiler alert, so turn it off if you want to watch it tonight and you've never seen it. In the end, they stay broken up. So it's the opposite of that movie we watched last night. While you were sleeping. Which Christmas was movie. awful. It's not awful. D, D plus. Well, if you would have seen it in the 90s, you wouldn't have had like 2020 expectations. That's true. But anyways, so, um, so we've done multiple uh, podcasts about invisible labor. Correct. So we're not about to get into it again, but I just wanted to provide the platform. So just so you know that this is something Kathy emails out to anybody who subscribes to Zen Parenting Moment twice a week. So if you're interested, go to zenparentingradio.com. But what what brought you to talk about this? So yeah, so go to zenparentingradio.com and you'll see at the top of the page, it says um, subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. And what Todd was saying was that you'll just get something twice a week. And I, I, I started by sending it certain days and I've been doing it Tuesday, Thursday, and then Todd suggested today I do it Monday and Friday. So you're going to get something twice a week twice if a week. you subscribe. Not I just sure don't when, know what days. Yeah. So basically, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's a the gist of it's kind of I use um, this story about how Todd is cleaning the counter and then he leaves pencils and straws on the counter. And when I say, what about these? He's like, that's not a big deal. Don't worry about those. What's interesting about what you just said uh-huh. is I'm good about the pencils and straws. What I'm not good at is actually wiping down like the, the crud on your counter that just kind of sticks there. Well, and a lot of times when you say that doesn't matter, you're kidding. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, like I'll be, but what about this? And you'll go, oh, that's okay. That doesn't yeah. matter. And you're trying to make me laugh. Yeah. I think in that moment, it was, they, sometimes there's this thing that people do. And it's not always just men. It's some women organize this way too, where they'll just make stacks of things and set them aside. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I just remember there was pencils and straws lined up and they had just been kind of pushed over to the side. And I was like, well, the counter's not clean because of those. And you're like, no, no, that's fine. And my point in in what I wrote was that eventually someone has to take care of those things and it will be me. And it's, it's 91% of the time me. And what's interesting about it is that it's expected that I do it, but nobody notices that I do it. And the differentiation is nobody notices it because I always do it. And I kind of, but the, the part that I got a lot of emails about this, um, but the part that people really liked were the last two paragraphs. So I'm just going to read those. Okay. So basically I talk about how we have to when you are the person who's in charge of those things, you also have to be thoughtful about how you communicate about these things Mm -hmm. that you don't want to communicate so much that you're perceived as nagging and you don't want to use certain words that make sounds like you're critical. And then, so I said, so this is a work in progress for our family, a constant awareness and discussion. Todd listens and notices. He desires a more equitable exchange, but my radar for recognizing that we need toilet paper and that it's time for a difficult conversation are much more finely attuned in me than him. And I also say that Todd and I know we have been socialized differently. We recognize that our gender expectations, however flawed and outdated, were taught early and they live deep inside of us. Observing and discussing the disparity is how we avoid resentment and stories that pit us against each other. We choose to discuss what's old so we can consciously participate in creating something new. So I wanted to end, I start with kind of saying Todd did this. But I wanted to end by saying, but we're talking about it all the time. Mm. This isn't like an issue where I'm like, this is a Todd problem. This is that he doesn't see certain things because he wasn't socialized to see certain things. Right. But that excuse only goes so long, so far for so long. Right. I'm talking, and you know, it's funny because before I was like, I'm not talking about you. Right now I am talking specifically about you, mm-hmm. which is I'm not talking about that that's the excuse for everyone. Sure. I'm saying you and I talk about this enough that... I don't believe you rest on it. I don't believe you say, sorry, I was socialized differently. It's just when I point something out and I say something has to be done here, you're not even used to even questioning something needs to be done because someone has always done that for you. Yeah, called my mom. Correct. (laughs) My dad, bless his heart, who lives in Florida, uh, didn't do a lot of the housework. And I'm not excusing my behavior because I didn't have a good role model of a balanced housework. But, you know, 
at this now moment, I think I'm better than I was 10 years ago, but I still have a commitment to sometimes forgetting to put the toilet seat, toilet seat down. Todd and I have this thing that we do. We've never talked about this. Uh-uh. So we maybe we've talked about the fact that I pointed out the toilet, toilet seat, which is that I basically said to Todd, upstairs in our bedroom, I don't care about the toilet seat. Okay. Because it's just you and I, I can figure it out, whatever. Mm-hmm. But we have a guest bathroom that anybody who comes in the side door uses. And, um, and I know there haven't been a lot of people in and out of our house because of COVID, but occasionally when the girls have friends in the garage, someone comes in, you know what I mean? Like there have been people who have used the toilet in the last eight months besides us. And that toilet seat is up a lot of the time because Todd never thinks to put it down. And he and I had a conversation where I said, listen, Upstairs, do whatever you want, but downstairs, that's a guest toilet. Sure. And you need to put the seat down. And we actually had a good conversation back and forth where you didn't even think that was true. Yeah. And because, like, you thought, I, I forget, you were like, no, toilets normally the seat is up. Did you say that or am I exaggerating? We can have a 15 minute conversation about the merits or demerits of toilet seats up or down. But yes, I, I, I never had to think about it. Well, you never had to think about it, but you, but we, you, you said that the natural state of the a toilet, state of the toilet is with it down. Correct. Which uh, I guess I'll, I'll agree to you now yeah. is true. So let's just stop there because <laughs> I don't want to start trying to defend why sometimes it's good that it's up because then there's going to be less splatter and blah, blah, blah. I just need to remember to put it down. Right. And that was, and that's the thing is what I said to Todd, like, say I was, obviously I am the mom and I had three sons and Todd, mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, 90% of the time or whatever, you guys need the seat up. So maybe I'm doing the leg yeah, work of putting it down. In this house with three daughters, three one daughters wife, and, me. and a female rabbit. Yeah, I was like, yeah, who does Jinxie not cat, use the toilet? Jinxie cat. <laughs> <laughs> Jinxie. Jinxie flushed it. Um, so anyway, I said, can you put it down? And so what's been great is Todd's like, okay. And at first he was having kind of a hard time remembering. And then I put a note on the inside of the toilet that just said, close me or something Mm -hmm. like that. What does it say? Uh, Please put me down. Please put me down. Mm -hmm. So I put that note and then he liked that. He's like, that's helpful. And then that note started to fade into the background because then you stopped looking. And so I said, okay, Todd loves competition. Like that's something I know about him. So we happen to have this whiteboard right next to the bathroom. So I started making marks and saying, the toilet seat's up, you just lost a point. And he liked, now, for those of you who listen to that who think I'm trying to be condescending, that's not my intention. I just know that Todd thrives on competing. Right. Yeah, the points help and the note helps. Make it obvious. Your note, when I, when I, I, that helps me. Remember, but the when I do the points, do you feel that I'm being condescending, or do you no, understand? It's fun. It's, it's for holding fun. things lightly. Okay, yeah. it's a good thing. Okay, we're, we're laughing at ourselves and each other. Right, and I just wanted to make sure that before I, you know, started talking about how you felt. But so we have a, a point board going, and actually this week no points. Last week, well, there it's were two. Monday. It's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my point is is to kind of you know finish this about the Zen parenting moment. Is it was about invisible labor and about this conversation that is somewhat connected to what we were talking about with Dr. Biden and what we'll continue to talk about with what Dr. Solomon wrote. Um, but these are just things to bring into our awareness and have discussions about it. And if your partner cannot tolerate the discussion, that's a problem. And when I say it's a problem, what I mean is- It's an opportunity it's, to, to figure that out. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it's not about you dumping on your partner. It's not about you saying you're horrible or you, it's about a conversation about how we've been socialized differently and how it's, it is helpful when we can at least have the discussion and maybe create something more equitable for our children and for the future. Um, another movie quote. Okay. That's right. Right, Dixie? That's incredible. So how did you teach the cat to use the toilet? Well, that was easy, Greg. I just designed a, a litter box to put inside the toilet, and then once he got used to it, I took it away. Oh, that's, yeah, makes sense. But I don't think he likes it very much. I mean, every chance he gets, he tries to dick, squat, and bury. I had to move all my potted plants off the floor. <laughs> Plus, you got another guy around the house to leave the seat up. <laughs> he can't lift the seat, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> he lacks the strength and the opposable thumbs. Yeah. Ah, right. <laughs> My God, that movie 
has some classic one-liners. So let's meet the parents for those of you guys who may not know what that is. But uh, there's a whole other part about the toilet with Jinxie Cat. And the only reason I brought it up because I brought up that we have a female rabbit. And I said that I live with three daughters, a wife, and a female <laughs> rabbit. But no, Smokey the rabbit does not use the toilet. No, she does have a litter box. But we did not do the whole, like, um, what what is his name, Jack? Jack's plan yes. to put the litter box in the yeah, toilet. We did not do that. Um, okay, so before we move on to the main topic, yes. uh, we have this thing called Team Zen. Yes. And uh, we're recording this on Monday. Tomorrow, being Tuesday, if you listen to this on the day it gets released, we have a Zen Talk, which we do twice a month. Usually it's Kathy and I just answering questions, supporting the community, blah, blah, blah. But this afternoon, uh, we're going to have Rosalind Wiseman on Correct. as our special guest. So... Um, do you want to say just a few things yeah, about what Team Zen is, sweetie? Absolutely. And I'll say real quickly about Rosalind Wiseman. She was at our conference, I think, in 2017. Um, she wrote Queen Bees and Wannabes and also Masterminds and Wigmen. And she has also um, been a co-writer of basically the go-to book during this pandemic for educators. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's really what she focuses on is the experiences with teenagers um, the, our communication with them and as how to understand them and, and have understand their inherent dignity. And then as parents, how to relate. Um, so she's wonderful. So if you want to join team Zen, go to, um, zenparentingradio.com, click on team Zen and you can join for, for free, free first month's free, 25 bucks. And, and coupon code is friend friend. Thank you for saying yes. that for reminding me. So anyways, Yes, and so that's it. Oh, that's all I'll say today. Okay, um, so Dr. Alexander Solomon, where are we going to start here? So again, I'm going to read this again just to kind of get us back in this mindset. So collectively, this is again, Dr. Solomon wrote this, we are doing a better job raising our daughters to be leaders than raising our sons to be caregivers. Being fully human requires the cultivation of both ambition and connection. And I really liked that in terms of there's this really difficult thing You know, Todd and I confront this all the time because I focus on women and girls and I definitely focus on empowerment and feminism and Todd focuses on working with men. And so we, and and making sure that men have connection and um, that they have friendships and things that they need to thrive. Mm. And we, so it's not that we butt up against each other because I think he and I work really well together and that we need both things happening. We need to be raising up our daughters in a way where we offer them, you know, leadership opportunities through education and through the way we talk to them and what we expose them to. But the same amount of attention is not being paid to making sure that boys know it's okay to be a caregiver. And I'm saying this over and over again so we understand that it's not about one or the other, it's about both. And that when boys don't know that it's okay to be a caregiver, and, and when I'm using that word, what I mean, it is, it could be professional, um, but it could also be about I take care of my friends, I take care of my spouse, I take care of my children, I take care of my community. Um, if caregiving is seen as only a feminine like uh, trait, we're in trouble. You know what it is? What? It is that caregiving is viewed as, as feminine all, and the messed up nature of how a lot of us are raised is that girls are weak. Right. So it's all like intermingled in between feminine equals weakness. I don't want to be a caregiver because I don't want to be weak and viewed by my friends as somebody who's caring for, um, for anybody, for myself, for each other, for my kids, for my family. It's, it's, and you know, that's the narrative that we're trying to disrupt and turn upside down. Exactly. And, and just how purposeful, that is like that this didn't just happen somehow magically like there is a purposefulness in seeing women as weaker to therefore overpower because some of the traits that women have naturally are um <laughs> you know and it's similar to the you know the Dr. Biden thing about we think we need to like tamp them down and talk them down because it can be we can feel like that's competition we shouldn't have to have. Sure. Like there are men who feel like, it, you know, they shouldn't have to compete with women. They shouldn't have to worry about women. They should be able to say whatever they want to say. Like, you know, let's go way back into, um, you know, the election of 2016 and the whole like Trump thing that he said about, uh, you know, that he said on the bus that then became this big issue in regards to that's just locker room talk. There are 
and, and again, it wasn't just men who said that. There were some women who supported that patriarchal ideal. But there's this belief that men should just be able to say and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shouldn't be questioning that. And, and instead thinking if you look through the lens of somebody who cares about people, then we wouldn't be okay with that kind of locker room talk. We'd be like, that's not how you talk to people. You know what it's about? What? It's not so much the awful words that came out of our president's mouth on that bus. It's the underlying belief that that's okay. That 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 like, how did you arrive at the place where you can say that? Like, of course, those words are horrendous, but even more horrendous is what has to happen inside of somebody to believe that that saying that to anybody is okay. It's just unbelievable to me. And I think a lot of it, Todd. You tell me because we're talking about men here, and I don't want to make the assumption, but is that. People who say that have said those things themselves, and they don't want anyone telling them they can't. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things are – a lot of the reasons that we are swayed to put our, like, muscle behind certain things is because we see ourselves in it. Mm -hmm. And if we see that somebody is being, like, a word police or somebody is being too PC with us – or with somebody else, we fight against it because we want to be able to do and say whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And instead of listening and saying, why is this hurtful? Or how could I say this differently? Or how could I do some legwork to manage this better? That work isn't done. And the reason why this is really important when it comes to women, or definitely um, when it comes to race, is that women and men of color, and then women overall, have had to learn how to speak. Yeah in different ways to manage this society. And so when men, white men, say, I don't want to speak differently, I shouldn't have to, there is the majority of the population that is having to do that all the time, having to figure out how to negotiate language and how to say something to not offend and how to say something so it's heard. And so it just seems like there's a dropping of the ball. So so I'm confused right now in this moment because okay. I'm about to tell a quick story. So I'm on this video chat platform with some friends of mine, loving men, loving men who, who embody healthy masculinity. And in this chat, uh, they were using the B word, B-I-T-C-H, uh, in kind of a silly, funny way. Like calling each other that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I remember Brene Brown who spoke mm-hmm. to us in Evanston mm-hmm. and said that she doesn't use that word. And the reason she doesn't use that word is because that's usually the word that somebody who's assaulting some a man, when a man assaults a woman sexually, that that's the most prevalent word that gets heard, according to the victims. Correct. The, and she, she actually specifically said that that's often the, last, the word last word that a woman hears when she's domestically abused or assaulted. So I brought that up to my friends and, you know, part of me is like, just chill out, Todd. Why, you know, it's just, it's just us. Isn't that okay? And, you know, I, it's funny. Like I said it, I'm like, just so you guys know, and I said the Brene Brown story and I'm like, just so you guys know, I just want to like say ouch a little bit, like I'm, I'm a little reactive when that word gets used. Now that's the interpretation and meaning that I give to that word. That doesn't mean that these guys are giving it that same meaning. And then, um, you know, we actually had a discussion about it, which I thought was important. And, you know, what, where they came out is like, can't we just relax a little bit for two seconds and kind of like be silly with each other and use that word or any, you know, cause we're saying a lot of, you know, a lot of stupid guy talk and that's, so I so I'm confused right now. I don't know if I should have like pushed harder on that conversation or I should just like back up and say, yeah, Todd, just lighten up a little bit, specifically because I know these men walk and talk and embody healthy masculinity. Well, and I think again, this goes back to our conversation earlier, is there's not two choices in there. Yes. There's many choices. Yeah. And so you're saying, should I have said no, we'll never use this word, or should I have been like, no, it's no big deal? And there's a place in the middle. Sure. It's kind of like what I talked about with the invisible labor conversations that you and I have is we don't have a conversation where I say, Todd, tell me I'm right Mm -hmm. and I've got to be right and and I need to win because I'm sharing new information with you. That would be control. That would be be me coming to you saying, I, you don't get to control me, but I'm going to control you. That's, that's using tools of the oppressor, right? We're not, this is not about that. It's about, can you come to your friends, um, and the guys in men living and say, 
you know, we're using this and you can even start by saying you guys are using this word to be funny because even our daughter's generation sure. use that word a lot to be like, it's a term of endearment right? Sure. randomly enough, even though I don't use it that way. But there is a, a comfort with that word in this day sure. and age. But you could say, um, listen, I know we have a comfort with this word, but I want to tell you something that Brene Brown, who I respect a great amount, told me about mm. this word, which is she doesn't use it because it's often the last word that is used against a woman in a domestic abuse situation. So she wants to be thoughtful of that. And then let the guys decide. Yeah. Let them let them take that in rather. And again, it's a good practice for men to hear and kind of not stew in it. What's the word? Let it marinate. Marinate a in bit. it. Yeah. Like you don't have to say now, guys. I'm in control. No one's using that in my presence. You say we need to in. We need to take this understanding into the mix too. Well, and it's interesting even with that because part of me is like, you know, I'm just not going to use that word. Right. I don't really use that. I'm sure I do, but I don't consciously. I can't think of the last time I used that word. Um, and I don't want to control my friends, no. but what I do want to do is inform them. Right. And that's what I'm saying is yeah. you're bringing it as information. Yeah. You guys are being silly. I know. Well, you guys don't say silly probably that much, but you guys are being funny. I understand why you're using it, but here's a bit of information I have because that's the point of men living, right? Yeah. I mean, aren't you guys trying to challenge each other sure. on being the best men and, sure. and being thoughtful about your language and things that maybe societally has never been asked of you? Sure is you've been able to kind of walk through the world and be like, I'm going to say and do what I want. And part of men living is how are we affecting other people? Well, and, and yeah. And for me, it's how am I showing up? And I still show up not in the best way many times, but what I am trying to make a change to stand up and speak up and do certain things like the stupid Wall Street Journal cancellation. Like I'm trying to like take at least a little bit of action. And in that sense, I took action and just told the guys about that. Like, you right. know, just so you know. Right. And, and, but it doesn't, I, I don't think it means I think any less of them or myself yeah. or anybody who uses that word, but I, I, I felt the need, at least in that moment, to speak my version of the truth. Right. And what we do is we listen and we contemplate and we read more about it and we become, it's about, I mean, even though the word, this, we use this word all the time on the show, it's about awareness. Mm -hmm. You can't contemplate something or change something if you have no awareness about it. Yeah. You know, when someone brings it to your attention, like just a few things, you know, in the last however many years, you know, I used to use the word gypped all the time. Yep. And then I was informed, like, that's not a great word to use. You yeah. know, that that word is inappropriate because it comes from gypsies, yeah. you know. Um, I used to say things about my spirit animal. Like, I'd be like, oh, Lady Gaga is my spirit animal. And I was, you know, I got emails where people are like, that's, that's not... That's sacred. That's mm -hmm. Native American, mm -hmm. you know, a, an understanding of what spirit animal means and don't use it in that flippant way. And it was written much better than what I'm sure. saying. But then I learn. Yeah. That's how I learn. And, and, and in that moment, I have to like kind of take it in and be like, okay. Someone even wrote to us about the word blind, that mm -hmm. sometimes when we say... Oh, you know, I was blind to that. And sometimes people who don't, at least the way she wrote it, that who don't have their sight, sometimes using that word blind in that way can be offensive. That yeah. we we don't, and again, we have so many words at our disposal. Like I can find a new way to say what I'm trying to say. Right. But that's going to require me to do a little bit of work. Right. Or like pronouns. I'm right. still trying to, pronouns are... I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, somebody will say, hey, my pronouns are he, him, his. And and if they're if I view them as a person of the opposite gender for a long time, it's really difficult for me to remember that these are pronouns that this person wants to use. That doesn't mean that I'm not trying hard but I screw that up a lot. And that's why practice necessitates being messy and then taking responsibility for yes. the messiness, which yes. is apologizing if we hurt somebody or saying, now I've learned, and that's what responsibility is. Actually, two or three days ago, Todd and JC and I got into a really long conversation because, as you guys may know, um, Elliot Page, who used to be Ellen Page, who is now Elliot Page, did a like a a post about the fact that he transitioned and that he, or when I, he did not, how do I want to say this? I want to say this the right way. This is how it gets messy. He has said, I am transgender. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason why I'm being careful with my language is he also said that he now refers to him as he, them, he slash them. So JC, you and I had a long conversation because JC is so much more knowledgeable about this than we are about understanding that. So if it's he, them, he still thinks of himself as non-binary. Yeah. So them still fits that. Yeah. But as far as his gender specification, he feels himself to be he. Yeah. And again, many of you listening may say, well, that doesn't make sense or that's hard for me. Well, we need to listen and respect how this man sees himself. And then why is that a problem for us? The reason it's a problem for many of us, and I'll speak for people that don't want me to speak for them, is it takes work. Mm-hmm. I don't want to work. Mm-hmm. I want it to be easy. Mm-hmm. And some days I want it to be easy. So I'm going to disregard what somebody wants to be called. But on my good days, I'm trying hard to call somebody what they want to be called. Well, and I think part of it is that we say, why can't we go back to a simpler time? Why can't we go back to a time when it was men and women and we didn't have to think about this? And the thing is, is that wasn't a different time in that nobody was transgender or non-binary or gay or lesbian or, or you know, bi. It's that they didn't have the space and freedom to talk about it. Right. So we had a lot of people suffering because they had to be quiet about their sexuality and gender, and they had no language to speak who they knew themselves to be. So those of you who are like, it didn't used to be this way, that's because people had to suffer in silence. Yes. So let's not go back to that. Yeah, that's not something that we should be shooting for. No. that is, Right now, we have individuals who are recognizing their gender and starting to find themselves and Anybody who says they're just doing this for this reason or that reason, do you understanding the statistics of transgender individuals? Do you think that is a lifestyle that someone would say? Yeah, that's what that's I want. That's the easiest Sign path me for me. This these are men and these are men and women and non-binary individuals who are saying I need to be myself so I can thrive in the world because if I lie about who I am, then. I can't be authentic or empathetic or feel the connection that I deserve to feel. Well, and how do we not support that as being something that is vital? Well, I'm writing the word down right now on my little scratch pad here, disown. Whenever we disown any part of ourselves, and there's part of me that disowns, you know, easier stuff like oh, I'm disowning my the angry one in me. Can you imagine what it's like to disown the part of you that feels a certain gender or a certain sexuality, I can only imagine how impactful that would be to somebody's psyche if they're not allowed to own that piece of themselves. And that's why the suicide rate is so high and that's why the addiction rate is so high because asking anybody to do that is asking them to be harmful to themselves. I actually read uh, Mark Nepo, you know, the book I always talk about, The Book of Awakening. I read it every day and there was a quote that I wrote down today that fits perfectly. Mm. He said, withholding a part of ourselves is spiritually holding our breath. Mm -hmm. So we can only hold our breath for so long or else we suffocate, or we die, or we pass out, or we withholding parts of ourselves is a spiritual holding of our breath. And that ability to speak, this is who I am, and this is who I love, and this is what I feel, and this is, you know, I was listening to, um, this is a good tangent, I think, Dak Shepard is talking to Sean Mendez today on the pod on his podcast, Armchair Expert. And it's a great interview to listen to for a lot of reasons because Sean Mendez is very um, he's only 22 years old, but he's very um, aware when it comes to mental wellness and his own mental wellness and what he wants to talk about and his own challenges with anxiety. But he also talks very openly about you know, he, like how he's been viewed, like even when it comes to his sexuality, he, he dates a woman, um, Camila Cabello, I think is how you say her name, Camila, Camila Cabello. 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 I don't know. Um, and I, and I apologize sometimes when I don't pronounce it correctly. I just don't want anyone to think I don't care that I I sometimes don't say it correctly. It's okay to be messy, sweetie. I, I do, I do get messy. And when people call me Kathy Cassini, it drives me crazy. Mm. Um, and I hope that they do figure it out eventually. So I have to do that work as well. Um, but I, you know, her, his point was, you know, a lot of people have said he's too feminine or that he's gay or that he crosses his legs a certain way. And he really struggles with how to communicate in regards to that, because he doesn't want anyone to think that that's a problem for him necessarily, but he also doesn't feel like that how is how he identifies. So he really struggles with how to talk about that in a way that he doesn't feel like he's being too protesting. 
and he he it was a lovely conversation and a really worthwhile conversation for two men to be having. Yeah. Um, because then Dax goes into how he basically felt like to even show any aspect of his feminine side, he had to first become a car guy and race You've got to overcompensate exactly because there's still a part of us that thinks if all we are is a nurturing caregiver, then all these things that I grew up with being compared to is being strong and powerful and successful and all these other things. Like it's funny, like Terry Crews, who I love, Mm -hmm. he's such a feminist. I love him. And it's almost, but he's ripped. Like he's huge. Oh, that's interesting. Does he say that that's why? No, this is just my own, like he, he is so muscular. Uh-huh. It almost, you know, this is a man. Oh, Terry Crews. I thought you were talking about Terry Real. No. You're talking about the guy, Terry the Cruz, really big The guy from guy. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know, I know. And No, he's not on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, Nine he's not? Nine. No, that's Andre Brower. I, I I thought he's on. He's at, on a show, but it's not Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We'll figure it out. He's funny, though. Yes. He's a comedian, yeah. And, uh, he was in Bridesmaids at the very beginning. Was he? Isn't that oh, Terry yeah, Crews? Yeah, I think he's like Terry doing, Crews. Yeah. And he... Um, it's funny. He came out as a survivor of sexual, I think, harassment or assault. Assault. Mm-hmm. And he's a big ripped football player and looking dude. And um, so anyways, but he is such a, um, at times, nurturing, caregiving, all that. And I feel like a lot of the times, I feel like we talked about this in the podcast maybe, that in order for him, I'm just making up stories here, but he builds his body up so easy to make it easier for him to go into that softer side. Yes. And that's, I think that's what Dax was saying is that sometimes you, if you are really going to expose this part, then you better build, you're saying that we're just saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and so that's the conversation. I mean, that's what Todd and I are coming back to is why when our, when our, and I can't speak to this because I have a nephew, but I'm not raising, I don't have sons. Um, and I know how we speak with my nephew and I know how my sister does. And I know that all of those parts were discussed, but he also lifts weights and is a football player too. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's a, how do we talk to our sons when they are growing up about this aspect of themselves? Like being like, I remember a story and you'll remember this from a long time ago, a friend of mine who her son was playing with a stroller And he was strolling, you know, he was pushing babies and her husband didn't like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but men are going to, and again, this is, I'm, I'm putting some time between this. This was like 15 years ago, but men need to be parents too. So how is pushing a baby in a stroller a problem? And these are things that we need to question in ourselves. So what's interesting is like, what would I want to, if I had a son, what would I want to teach him is like, I feel like a lot of times, and this is going to take us on another tangent, that's okay. Okay. Um, a lot of times we feel like we we have to be one or the other. And what I want to teach, if I had a son, I'd be like, cause there are, you know, men living, that's the men's group I co-founded. We do a lot of vulnerability work, step into your vulnerability, get messy, get soft, cry, get sad, be afraid and all that. And I feel like certain guys look at our group as if it's, oh, it's a bunch of guys trying to be caregiving, nurturing women. And that's true. But there's also this wonderful, beautiful side about healthy masculinity, which is strength and power and determination. And it's not one or the other. What I want to do, and this comes from Terry Real. This is what Terry Real taught me is I call it warrior energy or lover energy. What I want is to be able to know that both of those energies reside inside of me and to be able to pause and decide which energy which energy I need to pull out in any particular moment to do whatever I think needs to be done. And sometimes it is that strength, aggressive, powerful side. And there's other, this, there's this other side of us that is surrendering and loving and nurturing and, you know, all that. And for me, it's like, can I pause for a second and to see what needs to come out in this now moment? Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think the language that you use, the warrior and did you say lover, warrior, lover? Warrior archetype, lover archetype. Is yeah. that that's what we're talking about, that we're doing a pretty good job raising girls with both. Yes. You know, we're yes. saying go out there and be a warrior and, you know, and your soft side and allow your emotions. And we're doing a good job of holding both most people doing warrior and lover with their daughters and with 
people with sons were just, we're just we focusing to focus on, on warrior. warrior. So I wanted to read something Dr. Solomon wrote that kind of speaks to the heart of this, which I think answers some of our questions. She's talking about patriarchy. She said, it can harm the health and well-being of our boys and men. When we talk about precarious masculinity, what we mean is that the notions of what it means to be man enough are largely performative, states of doing rather than qualities of being, including leading, conquering, controlling. One's place in the hierarchy must be proven over and over again. The side effect of all this competition is that what's neglected is the in the, the entire realm of caregiving. Caregiving is non-competitive mm. by nature in that there's no end goal. There's just presence and connection. It's just delight and simplicity. There's redundancy and exhaustion and invisibility, yep. which we talked about. So let's be honest, you know, that's a big part of it. Um, and so... But it says, she says it doesn't get better for any of us until boys and men among us can experience a sense of worthiness that's not connected to a paycheck, their last sexual performance, or their latest achievement. Yep. And that's the thing is it's this competition piece where it's this demonstration. I need to prove to you. You know, I need – and so much of caregiving is you do it because it's the right thing. Yeah, it's, it's giving. Exactly. And you're not looking for someone to say, I mean, we can all get exhausted. We can get caregiver or compassion fatigue if nobody notices sure. ever what we're offering. But for the majority of us, it's not like people go to work or do what we do as parents and we say, I'm only going to do this if you reward me in some way, shape or form. I almost feel like, and this is an oversimplification that I'll probably get criticized for, but almost I feel like sometimes the warrior energy is the taking, go take. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the lover energy is giving. I don't think just, that's crazy. Just giving. And there's times when, you know, we are socialized to take. Right. And so what suffers when you're taking? We're not whole human beings. And your marriages suffer or your partnerships suffer? Your work situation suffers? Your relationship with yourself. That's why we're committed. That's why we're dying by suicide more than any other demographic because we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and we're taking our, our lives more because we are taught this lie growing up that we are what we do, how much money we make, how many trophies we get, how many sexual partners we have. That's exactly why this demographic of men are taking their lives faster than any other demographic. And when it doesn't get to that point where, like you said, the, the mental wellness is a huge aspect of this, but for the men who just continue and perpetuate this in the world, we have a leader right now who will not say that he lost no. because he thinks that losing strips him of every aspect of who he is. He has no other sense of being but winning. And that is a problem. It makes our whole country suffer. It makes that political party suffer. It makes me suffer for sure. And that is something that, and again, it's not just to talk about him specifically, but it's an energy that is, and there are all these people who have signed on to support this behavior. Yep. And this is, I can't lose or else I'm not worthy. And it's because he, and including me sometimes, I'm outsourcing my need for approval, control, or security. Mm -hmm. And our president outsource, he, ha he doesn't think he has any of that intrinsically. Mm -mm. No. So he needs to go find it from mm -hmm. some other validation from he, some outside so not source. Not find it, demand it, yeah. pay for it, control it, and do whatever he has. And that's, that is that hurts people. It hurts people. And again, that's just symbolic of all the other times, you know, demanding that a woman only look at you. Mm -hmm. And then I just read um, uh, FK Twigs. She's a uh, an artist, a recording artist, and she's been dating Shia LaBeouf for the last year or two. Do you know who he is? He's an yeah, actor. Yeah. So she just came out this weekend and said, I have been in an abusive relationship with this man for however long. And she's now taking, you know, taking it into a legal, mm -hmm. you know, she's suing him or taking him to court or whatever. And um, or maybe she's just maybe it's more of a getting him arrested type mm -hmm. of situation. I don't really know. Yeah. What I know is she is speaking out about how controlling and how abusive he has been to her. And. This is one of a million stories. I'm just giving this as an example because she started saying how she he wouldn't allow her to look at other men. He wouldn't allow her to go somewhere without him. He wouldn't allow her to live somewhere where he wasn't. It's controlling. Well, it's personal property. And it's dominance. What's funny, my friend Ryan, who does a podcast called True North, which you should check out, he... 
on a podcast, he talked about the history of marriage. Will you take this? Uh, will you take this woman? Um, the father gives the woman away. Right. So it's it started with property. Correct. Which I didn't know. I never thought about that. But even the language in the traditional marriage ceremony that mm-hmm. we and you and I probably celebrate is like, mm-hmm. we ask your dad, do you take the uh, we you know who gives away like gives away? Mm-hmm. Where's Mm-hmm. Your dad doesn't own you, mm-hmm. but we like have this lovey, sentimental, and I never thought about it. So thanks, Ryan, for bringing that to my awareness. Well, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a whole book oh, about it. Yeah, she was her book after um, Eat, Pray, Love. It was all about marriage, mm-hmm. and it was all about the history of marriage and where this language comes from and how much she struggled with it because she's no longer with her husband, but they ended up having to get married, even though neither of them really believed in marriage because of 9-11 and he wasn't able to live here because mm. he wasn't a you know native of this country. He wasn't a citizen. Yeah. And so they ended up having to get married and they had to figure out their own reasons for marriage. Yeah. It was really, I thought, mm. well done. Obviously, it's a sophomore effort, so nobody was... You know how when you write Eat, Pray, Love, and then it's hard to have a follow-up book. But I thought it was really interesting in terms of what Ryan was saying, too. And and, you know, these are things like, uh, you know, Cameron brought to my attention um, when we were watching The Crown that late, that Diana refused to say obey mm-hmm. in her, you know, during her wedding when every other, you know, woman getting married to someone in the royal family had do honor you, and obey. Um, do you remember that one wedding we went to? My friend Jim, Jim's wedding. The <laughs> that, language was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oof. I was I was actually not there. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. But you told me about I was it. just like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're saying this out loud. Yeah. It was very, I don't know, what's the word, conservative, old school, but it was like worse than what we're used to hearing. Yes. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but. Well, it was very much about property, right? Yes. You know. Yes. That you will respect this human being and yes. it goes one way. And there. Yeah, your, it was something like your duty is to. Duty. Yeah. yeah. To please your husband or whatever it is. And the thing is, is there are people, Todd, who still think that way. Of who course. believe if it be because of religion or if it be because yeah. of their culture or their community or where they grew up, it's not, it, it is definitely a more uh, patriarchal viewpoint of um, yeah. what marriage needs to be. Certainly not one that we agree with. Uh, not one that I would want to live in. Yeah. Like that would not be... Um, you know, it's just, it's, you know, and it's got a lot to do with how you were raised. Like my, my dad who loved Todd, but he, I just remember him saying to me several times, this was pre me introducing you to him. And then even when he, you guys knew each other really well, he's like, you got to keep your own credit card. Mm -hmm. You got to have one in your name. You got to keep, like, he was always like, not that you personally would do anything to me, but he was like, you need to. And there were some things like that were, willed down to me that he's like, this is in Kathy's name. This is Kathy's. And he was very much focused on me and making sure that my rights were protected. And so that follows into- Because you were in a system where your rights are not as protected as mine for certain. That's what he understood. And so that's kind of how I come into the world is with a father who's like, you need to be thoughtful about these things. And thank goodness you are thoughtful about that as well. And then we're raising three daughters who were saying- be thoughtful about this. Yeah. Not be scared and not, you know, right. but just be thoughtful. Right. That's, it's a different thing. Um, so if there's only a men's group that cultivated some of these things <laughs> that we're talking about. So if you're interested in having authentic connections with other men, go to menliving.org and just sign up for our newsletter or shoot me an email at todd at menliving.org. If you're a guy out there and you want to hear more about what we do, um, it's all virtual. So we would love, almost all virtual. So I would love for any guys out there to learn more. Uh, I do have one thing. We haven't gotten a review in uh, since August fifth, and it's still that one that that what that one guy said. Something. There's not one above it that's good. No. Okay, we need somebody to go in so there. So somebody and do a just good disrupt. Review. So the last one isn't the bad one. So we, we got disrupt like, the system. Out of the 500 reviews we got, I think we got like three that are bad, and it just so happens. <laughs> If you click on most recent, it's the guy who thinks that we're idiots or whatever it was. I don't remember. <laughs> he didn't like that we were talking about that parents should discuss race. Yeah. So what I said was, I'll take that bad review because I we're, that's a necessity. Yeah. But uh, still. So do us a favor and uh, write us a review. Maybe I'll read it. Who knows? Um, and then I coach guys, uh, ToddAdamsCoaching.com. If anybody's interested, first session's free. Check us out there. I want to close the show with Sean Mendez, my uh. favorite song. My daughters can't. I like I lock into a song and I just play it over and over again, especially when it comes to my daughter's likes. 
um, and it's called Hold On. Well, and it's because Sean has had so many albums since then, and the yeah. girls are always like, Dad, keep yeah. up with Sean Mendes. No, no, I don't want to keep up. I just want to hear that. And I actually played this song at the conclusion of one of my men living meetings because it was so meaningful. I'm not going to play the whole thing because I think we'll get in trouble. But it's just um, a wonderful song, and I invite you to – I'll even put the link of the whole song on YouTube so you can click over to it. But um, he's an anxious young man going through the start, the stardom, and he reaches out to his dad uh, asking for support. Mm-hmm. His dad does it, and he shares his lyrics. So mm-hmm. this is called Hold On from Sean Mendes. Have a good week, everybody. Stop, take it in and I breathe for a minute I think too much when I'm alone I never win when I keep all my thoughts inside So I'll pick up the phone And my dad says, Sean, stay with me Everything will be alright I know I haven't seen you lately, but you're always on my mind. I don't know what you're going through, but there's so Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. Hey, looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents? Join Team Zen, where you'll get zero pressure and 100% support. First month's free if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe. A special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low pressure, 75 minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org. Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. He is a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicago and area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.